Listening Dog Media. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. The Rugby Podcast that doesn't take itself too seriously. Welcome to Rocket with me, Kieran Bracken, and my co-host, Nick Easter. This week we'll be talking about the European semi-finals and who's going to be in the top four of the Premiership. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. So, Nick, uh, I can see you're now wearing the... You've got, you know, obviously got your kit, your Newcastle stash has arrived. So, Newcastle Falcons badge wearing uh, with pride, I can see. But also, I noticed that the... the what's it called? The matches have come out for the start of next year and your first match is, in fact, a way to Bath. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, that's an interesting one because they're flying high at the moment. How do you feel about that? You, you must be quite excited. Oh, yeah, mate. So when the fixtures come out, you know, it suddenly gives you a little bit more of a focus, doesn't it? Um, great time to have Bath away. 20, 20, what, 1st of November, late November. Uh, eyes lit up, not because of what might happen on the field and the fact we know what our opposition is for the first few weeks. Well, we know for the, every week, but uh, for the first game. Um, but when I was at Quinn's player and coach, we always wanted Bath around November, December time because the wife used to come down, used to put her up um, in, I can't remember the name of the Blimmin' Hotel. Is it the Gainsborough? I think it's the Gainsborough. Am right. I, I've got the first one. Gainsborough Hotel in Bath. Beautiful five-star spa hotel right in the mix. You walk everywhere and then enjoy the Christmas market. So we play the game, check in there, um, spend the spend the night or two nights if it was a Friday night game there and enjoy the Christmas market everything Bath's got to offer but unfortunately it doesn't look like there's going to be any Christmas market with Covid so uh, <laughs> no. it's a sort of wasted fixture really yeah well I used to love going to Bath partly because I used to stay over at Mike Cat's house and have a massive party and a big piss up every match so uh, yeah I, I mean Bath is a great place to go yeah. I suppose yeah I suppose what's your running what's your first five games go on tell me what your first five games um, uh, Bath away Sale at home so two Oof. powerful sides first up yeah Wasps away then there's a couple of European games and then we've got Leicester at home on Boxing Day at 2pm so that's a win uh, that's a win you're alright mate <laughs> yeah, yeah so that'll, be an, that'll be an early morning Boxing Day driving up for that one mate but uh you know they've they've got they've got to travel travel up as well, um, and then and then the short turnaround mate because that Christmas New Year fixture is tight is a uh, Bristol on the first. I don't right. know, I can't remember whether it's away or at home, but uh, look, they're all tough, mate. Aren't they? They're all tough in the Premiership, but it's where you want to be, it's where you want to test yourself, and you know we've just got to manage manage our squad well, you know, through those games because you know a lot of them wouldn't have played rugby from March. Yeah, how are you going to do that? Are you going to attrition? The attrition rate is going to be very, very different. Um, it's got its benefits, as I spoke to you. You know, we're, yeah. we're going to be fresh, we're going to be fresh throughout the whole season, really chomping at the bit, you know, even six months in, hopefully. Um, but you know, in terms of match hardness and you know, body management and attrition rates, uh, we're going to have to be very careful about how much we stress them because you, you clearly need to you get the work in. Um, Keep the conditioning there. You don't want to decondition, but you also want to look after, look after. Well, nothing, as, as you know, though, you know when you you know you start a new season. Preseason is so important. You need to have proper big games. You know, we used to go on a tour 
up to Scotland and play some matches and 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 actually it's interesting what uh, South Africa have done now that they've they've picked the sort of two teams that are going to play off against each other to try and get battle ready for the rugby championship but for you guys I mean it's so difficult really it's so difficult because I guess one of your biggest concerns is injury isn't it you know injuries early on because they're not battle ready battle hard it's tough though you are you going to play some big games uh, beforehand pre-season games against some big sides or no you're not allowed to travel mate. You, you, you can't you, you're not allowed to travel um, and you know we're not going to be playing any premiership sides so we've arranged two games against Ealing you know the strongest okay, side okay yeah um, you know after Newcastle last year so that's already been pre-arranged um, you better win that by the way because they'll be proper pissed if they beat you <laughs> yeah. no, it's too late mate but uh it's also what we do in training, you know, how much sort of live bone on bone we have in training to get the guys prepped because, you know, you don't want to go in there undercooked. Um, no. And there's been quite a bit of discussion actually this week amongst the senior players group about, you know, the last three weeks, you know, how do you want it, you know, from a mental and physical point of view leading into that first game, given everything that's happened, COVID, we might go into a second lockdown. What if certain players get injured? You know, you'll be, you're going to be literally... Um, frothing at the mouth and climbing walls to get out there and it's how to make sure that you're tempering that emotion you know understanding how to release in a positive way in a constructive way but you know how to manage it as well and uh, look, that, that's obviously for you know when is it six seven weeks down the line um, but it's not moment, long mate that's not long mate that's it's, not, it's long. not long mate it's not long but uh, at the end of the day mate you, you know you've got some Good rug, rugby intellect, whether it be conditioning, physios, you know, other coaches, the players as well, to be able to know and manage the team and get them in the best shape possible. And sometimes you've got to roll the dice. Have you uh, have you got your systems in place? You can wrap them up in cotton wool. Um, they've got to be exposed and, as I say, you know, stimulated and stressed, you know, from a physical point of view. But you've got to know where, where that breaking point is. So, What about you? Have you got any system? Have you worked defensively yet? Have you done much on systems? Oh, no, no, you know, done plenty from a defensive system point of view. Um, you know, d- done some good contact technical stuff. Haven't really gone... Because the COVID restricts you again, Brax, on that. So... The, the sort of one or two sessions, so two days before testing, we had testing today, you can't have any live contact for longer than three seconds. Right. So, you know, yeah, you, you can play conditioning games, you can play at pace, you know, get your speed up, fatigue up from a running point of view, and maybe a bit of shoulder check. But in terms of mauling and scrum from the forwards, in terms of the breakdown stuff and tackle stuff, you have to wait for the other two training days when, you know, all your tests are negative, you know, hopefully, which they have been. Um, so, so you have been very limited, whereas we might have had two or three sessions a day. Some have only been one. So it hasn't been, you know, we, we thought we'd have a normal three-month pre-season, but because of the restrictions and regulations put on by Public Health England via, you know, and then via Premier Rugby, um, there's been some limitations that wouldn't usually be there. So we've had to manage that. But what about locally? I mean, what's happening up, up northeast? It's pretty dire, isn't it? Everyone's in lockdown pretty much. It's all a bit of a nightmare up there, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, nothing much seems to have changed, mate. At the end of the day, if Dominic Cummings can come up to Durham um, when, when, when he's got it and flaunt the laws when we're in a strict lockdown, then uh, I think that sent a message to the rest of the population. Look, everyone, everyone wears a mask. Just about everyone wears a mask. The shops and restaurants, you know, they have their protocol, social distancing. I've got no problem distancing, wearing a mask. 
Um, yeah, they shut at 10. Um, and I think now it's no mixing households, isn't it, up here? No? Yeah. Right. So I, I guess you watched the, uh, you will have watched the keen eye with the semi-finals of the European Cup. So my team Saracens bravely bowed out, five minutes to go. Um, you know, I mean, they, they battle so well, but, you know, when you've got a bit of magic with Finn Russell and uh, Vakatawa, what, I mean, what a try. I mean, to score that in the last sort of, what, five minutes, all they had to do was hold out. But that genius kick that he's got, he maybe he's played his, played his way into the Lions. He's, um, you know, and they look the real deal. But then I watched the Exeter, to, you know, Toulon game and I was thinking, Jesus, Exeter, they, sorry, to, uh, yeah, Exeter, Toulouse. I was thought, Jesus. They're just a powerhouse, aren't they? Even though they went behind early. And I was really impressed with the way Toulouse played with uh, fast rucks, DuPont, Entermat, Colt, you know, Chesnko. We looked really, really dynamic to start with. I thought, here we go. This is a big game. And then I just, it was an interview with Rob Baxter, literally when they were like, I don't know, seven points down. And he was just, no, we're all right. We're just going to ease our way into this game. We'll be fine. And bloody hell. They just, and, they, and, and I was just amazed at how easily they just got to the end and by the end of it, it was just a, a one-horse race. So it's interesting as to what will happen, what you think for the... What you what do you think of the semi-finals? Did you... Um... Yeah, I thought that I feel Saracens were a, were a bit unlucky. Um, you know, Racine, I didn't... I wasn't too impressed with Racine, but as you say, you know, those X-Factor players, they're paid to deliver on the big stage and they did. Um, I'm surprised Nigel Owens didn't go back for... I'm not saying he was offside because he looked just onside when they showed the replay. But he didn't go back to have a look and check that offside. And I'm not sure where that kick went through just on half-time either, which, uh, you know, given the final score would have impacted the result. But uh, it's, I think it's, it's good to have an England-France final. Um, it's, uh, you know, from Finn Russell's point of view, he's up against his good mate, um, Hoggy, uh, an exeter yeah. who's already said... I'm going to rain highballs on him. We'll, we'll see how he does. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't do that to Hoggy. Don't be shy in coming forward, mate. He said, right, I think well, I think we can expose him, you know, especially if it's wet and the highball. Exeter for me, I mean, it's Exeter's, mate. Um, they, they just look so strong all over the pitch. Their set piece is excellent. Both sides of the ball. Defence was extraordinary, their scramble defence. I mean, it looked like it would be try of the season. Do you remember sort of, I think, if they maybe... 10 points down to lose and maybe about 55, 60 minutes in and they went from their own 22 or just outside of 22 on a, a kick chase from Exeter and literally got to within about a yard from the line and whether it was legal or not from Sam Simmons, you know, it doesn't matter, you've got to chance your arm and uh, made the turnover and I thought their defence and scramble defence was extraordinary. I love the way Toulouse played but the Exeter have been together a lot longer than Toulouse. They're very, very comfortable in their roles. It doesn't seem to matter who fills them. They know exactly what their role is within that structure. They're highly conditioned from a physical point of view, not just a running point of view. Um, and you look at them, their, their attack, their close yeah. stuff when they get five yards out, their set piece, their defence, their kicking game, game management. It's all flowing so nicely and in sync. And, and, and the biggest thing, mate, is they, they know how to get momentum back in games, whether it be scoreboard or actual momentum, you know. It, it, interesting I was going to ask you about this so much weaponry to be able to do that 
Yeah, I, I noticed though in the first 20 minutes, half an hour that, uh, and I don't know whether this is a defensive tactic, uh, is that they, they were not committing anyone to the rooks. They were not trying to jackal and try and steal any balls, which meant effectively they then had more men on, uh, you know, in the defensive line. It's interesting. And then they lost a few, a few balls on the ground because Toulouse then jackled over and nicked a couple of balls initially. But it's interesting that maybe that's the way they want to defensively. That's the way they want to play. Let you have the ball, but have more people, you know, in numbers and to try and to try and stop you playing. But I was just intrigued as to, you know, when you look at Saracens when they were really successful, say, you know, in years gone by, they never really won the games with amazing tries. They just, they just, I don't know, they they squeezed the light out, you know, out of you. So there was just, you know, it was very hard to, to score against. So they would like, Saracens would rather kick the ball away to you, let you, let you have the ball. And Exeter seemed to be, they don't have these magic players in the background, maybe apart from Hogg, but they have very bog standard players, know what they're doing, get themselves in the right position, get a turnover, get a penalty. And bog, then they just tend standard, I'm sure they'll be delighted. Yeah, no, it's, well, no, look, they're all, look, apart from Hoggy, they're all fringe players. Look at well, them. Jack Knoll, Henry Slade, Joseph. Yeah. Yeah, all fringe players for England. They're not like... Fringe is different. Fringe international players, mate, is different yes. to bog standard. Okay, all right, bog standard international. But listen, what I'm saying is, it's not a back line. It's not a back line where you might find in the rest of the premiership. And I'm just saying like, yeah, they have this togetherness and understanding. And it's it comes from the forwards, certainly the way they've changed the game as well. When there's a, when there's a, 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 a line out 10 metres from the line, I straight away go... Well, if they don't get a driver more, they're going to pick and go and score. So I don't know how you defend against it, but um, but yeah, it's like tough, you, tough, mate. And uh, you know, going back to it, it's very much the way they that they traditionally defended. Um, you know, unless there's big exposure at the breakdown, they won't really send a jacker in there. They're like thirteen in the front line, don't they? And uh, they'll pressure you into making a mistake, whether it be knock on, maybe it be a double hit, you know, dominant tackle. Um, and uh, that's how they like to get the ball back. And I think that ties into the fact that they have such belief in their conditioning that, mm. that you know, that they're thinking, do we need to turn this over as soon as possible in phase? Or do we actually want themselves to punch? You know, do they want to lose to punch themselves out? And it, and any the other thing is, mate, when you're playing an offloading team like Toulouse, it's probably, um, probably wiser in this, to a certain degree in making sure you have numbers on your feet so you're able to gang tackle the likes of Colby and... To Corey and Kane, yeah, enter Max, so they aren't able to get that offload away. So you know, one defender goes low, one goes high, and you keep your disciplines. So you don't give them opportunities um, for territory, um, and you know you do as much damage as you can in a two-man tackle and go again, really. And uh, look, mate, they they've been together a long time, building a long time. They've added a bit of stardust um, this year with Stuart Hogg. Johnny Gray's come in there as well, and he's been. He's improved, his game's improved massively and that's why he did sign. Um, and they're ready, mate. Um, it's, it's just a debate of whether that final goes ahead because if you're reading the papers today, Rassi Metro seemed to have several positive COVID tests on testing this week. And uh, the French press are reporting that it's nine. Um, I don't think you'll see Saracens, uh, any Saracens boys from that playing the final game against Bath possibly for that reason. But... Uh, Depends what their tests come back as, to be honest. Um, it's you know, it's whether they. What's the rule? What are the rules then? Well, it's, 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 so many. Well, you've got to you've got to track you've got to track and trace the training and any contact that's been had. But because they've played a game, 
Um, and, you know, they would have done training. I, I don't know when they were tested, to be honest, in France, but uh, you sort of track and trace the previous two days from a training point of view, but uh, they might go back to the game and then it's 14 days in isolation. Shit, man. So they can't even prepare then, I, I so guess. 14 days in isolation, yeah, they won't be able to prepare, so... What happens though when the rules of that? That surely they must have something in place though that if if you can't put out a proper team that you have to delay it, postpone it. That's not good, is it? It's it's not good, mate. And uh, another reason why I back Exeter to win. (laughs) Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. Celebrate Oktoberfest from the comfort of your own home with a free case of eight German craft beers from Beer Fifty Two the world's biggest beer club. All you have to do is go to beer52.com forward slash rocket and cover the £5.95 postage and they'll deliver them straight to your door. Each month, the team at Beer 52 visit a different country in order to find the world's best beers. This month, they're in Germany to celebrate the world's biggest beer festival. There's no minimum commitment. You can just take the free case, try the beers, and see what you think. Just go to beer52.com forward slash rocket to claim your free case of eight craft beers now. That's beer52.com forward slash rocket. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter, the brand new rugby podcast. So listen, I mean, we both you would have read in the press. I mean, disappointed for Manu Talangi getting injured, Courtney Laws getting injured. That's sad to see. Uh, those two injured and, you know, will be out of England duty. And, you know, they're big name players uh, that will be, you know, are needed now that the Premiership is really hotting up for second, third and fourth place. But I just thought before we talk about the Premiership and the, the top four, we know Exeter's the top of the next three, is um, is in your career, you know, like, first of all, you know, did you have any, have any big injuries where it was at crucial moments and or, like, I was just thinking of players who, who got injured, who, from a team's perspective, and I think in Manu Tulangi and Courtney Laws, would have that, a massive effect on, basically, on the team itself, just by having an injury on that one person. For me, Richard Hill at Saracens was one of those players that, you know, if he got injured and you knew he was missing, you, everyone, bar none in the team, would think, shit, we're going to have to play that much better now, we're missing our star player. I mean, Johnny Wilkinson every now and again, he didn't miss many when I was around, but, he was one player because he could kick from anywhere, couldn't he? Whether he's having a good good game or not. But psychologically losing a player like that, a big name player, for me, Richard Hill was always the one I thought, shit, please don't let's lose him. What about you when you were playing? Yeah, Simi, man. I mean, you just jogged my memories. Uh, I remember the World Cup in 2007 and um, everyone went out there fit. There was no pre-existing injuries or niggles. And uh, Johnny went down for the... Um, yeah, Johnny went down for the first game against the USA. We're playing South Africa's second game in a group, which was, you know, going to determine how, how tough your route was and wasn't fit for that. And Jason Robinson, then in that game, you know, the famous fucking thrashing we got before he oh, yeah. made the final and nearly beat him there. But uh, Jason Robinson did his hamstring in that game. South Africa game. So suddenly, you know, Wilco was coming back the, the week after. Um, but Jason Robinson, miraculously, through his own professionalism, freakish body recovery, and you know, Paskey, the physio, helping him out as well with you know extensive rehab, got himself back for the quarterfinal, which 
happened to be his, I think, I think it was his 50th, no, it wasn't, it was his 49th cap. And he was retiring after that. And we, we, we had Australia in the quarters and, yeah, they were strong favourites, firm favourites. And he got back for that. And, and just, you know, someone like that, knowing he's back for that game, you know, match winner in himself. You know what he's done before for England. You know how he loves playing the Aussies as well. Um, it was a massive lift. And I think also it's it's not good for the opposition to see things like that. Because I remember also a similar thing at Quinn's. Um, you know, we, we had a quarterfinal against Munster. We didn't make the quarterfinals too often in the Heineken Cup. Um, when I was there, or actually ever, um, at Harlequins. And we got to the quarterfinals 2013, and Munster was struggling at the time, and they'd just beat... They'd, and I know the Pro 14's a bit of a sort of... can be a bit of a wishy-washy league, to be honest, in terms of the players they put out. But the week before, we'd, we'd had a Premiership game, I can't remember, down at Gloucester or whatever, tough game, yeah, good game, sort of back and forth. They'd been beaten by Glasgow by about 30 points. And I knew that they were going to be a different side come the Heineken Cup. And O'Connell had been out for the most of the Six Nations, if not the entire Six Nations, long-term injury. And he came back in for that game. Oh. Ended up getting man of the match. Um, just, right, you know, it wasn't a pretty game. You know, we went in ahead at half-time. I think they won it 18-12 or something. No tries. But, uh, you know, you could just tell the impact he had on the team mm-hmm. being there. And... Uh, you know, he took our line out of pieces. Our line out caller, George Robson, sort of fell apart when he saw his name on the TV, I think. And I think he called it straight to O'Connell, the first three line like, Mate, what are you doing? I think he just got starstruck by him as well. He goes, my hero, I'm going to call him the line out. No, that's not your job. Did you rip the uh, piss out of him on that? I bet you did. <laughs> oh, man, well, we, yeah, we did. We did on the review, yeah. Um, oh, man. I, personally, mate, I've been, always been very lucky with injuries, but one that, you know, was uh, the most serious was uh, when I went bungee jumping in Queenstown, mate, and uh, I did my back in in 2011 World Cup. Um, did they not get the weight right? Did they, did they ask you yeah, your weight? they didn't get the weight right. I, you could make an excuse, mate, but they go heaviest first, and it was seven of us that went, and Simon Shaw was, oh. you know, he's got to be a good eight kilos heavy me back then, so even if they didn't get it right. Uh, <laughs> but I didn't realise it about five days after, so I was ready to play the next game against Georgian, and it was a team run before. I felt, oh, he's a bit of neural there, but sometimes it can be released with a bit of glute work or whatever. And it was more painful the next day. Pulled out the, pulled out a game and um, they called up Thomas Waldron. It was sort of nip and tuck, mate, about whether they sent me home or not. And got the epidural in. No scan epidural from a from a doctor that does pregnant women quite frequently. So he's found the spot and uh, he got me back in time. Um, I, I, that's about I as, serious as, as serious as it got with me, luckily. That reminds me of the, well, uh, you went around there, but well, the Tetley Bitter Cup final, 1997. These were the days where it was like the Wild West when it came to injuries and things weren't quite right. But I had a, a groin problem and I had a and I had turf toe. Have you ever had turf toe? Uh, no, but I know people no. have had it, yeah. Oh, so you, you stub your, your big toe and it swells up and it's got nowhere to go, all the blood. It's bloody painful. But to play the game, I couldn't run, so I didn't train up to the match until um, I got uh, I got an injection into my big toe. Oh my! When I'm talking, I'm talking proper pain, proper. Well, pain. under the nail, under the toenail. No, no, no! It, they they pull the joint that would have been out. Me. They pull the joint out, and then they go in from the other side and inject into it cortisone. I'm not even sure it's legal. I'm not sure I should be telling you this, but. Uh, 
Yeah, so that I, but I got through it and we won, obviously. But I, th- I thought um, it's interesting now, though. Um, before we talk about the Premiership, I just saw Jeff Parling. He's he's coaching in Australia. He looked like he was always destined to do a bit of coaching. So uh, good on him to get in that job in Australia. He's got a tough task, though, hasn't he? I think his task is nearly harder than yours. <laughs> yeah, mate. Look and. Uh... Oh, brilliant. To a, to a degree, mate, it's what you want as a coach, isn't it? Because, you know, there's a lot of potential growth there and you can see actually where you're at. Um, yeah, he has got a tough task, mate. And I probably think part of the part of the reason is Dave Rennie has a lot of respect for English forwards because uh, he knows that, you know, that's certainly what's missing the Australian forwards. Um, but you're still, you know, the highest level, mate. Um, it does depend on, on your players, you know, even more so. And... Uh, you know, you could. They pick quite a young team, haven't they? They pick quite a young team, a form team, as Dave Rennie, you know, says. Um, and I'll be really interested to see how they go, mate. I think they, New Zealand's their first game, isn't it, in a couple of weeks in the rugby championship, and uh, mm-hmm. I think it's like three in the morning, something stupid like that. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how they go because Jeff's been coaching out there now, I think, for a couple of years, um, so he understands sort of the systems, the mindset. Um, you know, of the Aussies and the Kiwis. They're right. Their line-outs were never that bad. It was their scrummaging <coughs> was their big problem. Yeah, right? well, it was scrummaging and the mauling game. So, yeah, the line-out, there was a good line-out forwards, to be fair. But, uh, you know, the defence of the maul, the mauling game, <coughs> um, the, uh, you know, the breakdown stuff, he'll probably have something to do with as well. But it's, it's more about changing the mindset, Brax, you know, just changing that attitude to, instead of trying to get parity, and contain, trying to try dominate, really. And, and I suppose that's probably his biggest challenge in getting that across them. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard out there. It's interesting. I keep reading stuff. About <laughs> so careful of that COVID. Luckily, luckily you're, you're not, not close by. No, I'm in a high-risk um, high risk area, mate. Are you? No, just intrigued when I, when I read about what's happening over there. South Africa look like they want to get out of the you know, super rugby and get into the pro 14, which is quite interesting, which I think would be great for the pro 14. But you can see with the time zone, they're looking towards us now because they haven't been treated very well, I, I don't think, in, you know, in super rugby. I think they, they really want to try and come over and play in our time zones. Can you imagine they're playing over here? The amount of South Africans who live in London and, you know, they, they would love it over here, wouldn't they? But interestingly, you know, it's hard for them because they've got to travel so much. Argentina, South Africa, Australia. It just looks like South Africa are looking to the Northern Hemisphere for a bit of, um, you know, to unlock to unlock the potential for yeah, them. Yeah, I them think, a bit more uh, money. you know, once we get out of this situation, you know, and beforehand, you know, there, there was more more finance, financial gain to be made as well by linking up with mm. European sides. Um, that'll be good. Looks like a done deal, doesn't it? Um, when it starts, which mm. is when they can start travelling, I suppose, can't they, en masse, and they'll obviously have to still be in their bubbles. Um, you know, go, going to Durban, mate, in January, playing a game, hot, sticky, humid. Um, that'll be new for uh, a few of those, you know, Welsh and Irish and Scottish yeah. down there. Great town. That'll be good. They'd love it. They'll have a great, great town. They'll have a great be awesome. time. That'd be awesome. Um, yeah, it will be, mate. It'll be... Uh, you know, I, th- I always th- thought for South African rugby that that was always going to happen, given the yeah. travel, given the logistics, given the financial state they were in before this COVID. Um, and uh, I think they'll be a great addition to the competition. Um, yeah. 
I hope they don't put out weakened sides though, like uh, the rest of the competition do for seventy five percent of the games. Yeah, maybe what they should do is have the the Premiership say winners play the winners of the Pro fourteen as a Super Cup. That's another opportunity. But let's talk about who's going to be in the Premiership final because I mean, many weeks ago when lockdown was we were just out of lockdown for for rugby sense where they started back playing and you had extra at the top and then I believe I think it was Bristol Sale and I don't know someone like was it who was it who was the fourth one it was Bristol Sale Wasps and Bath Wasps and Bath and we were always like Wasps and Bath yeah Bristol and Sale and it's amazing over these weeks what's happened and I'm just I'm intrigued to get your take on this with Bristol prioritising um, the Champions Cup, which I find a bit odd, really. Um, maybe, you know, now they're in the finals. Yeah, in the Challenge Cup. In the Challenge Cup. Why, why has he done that? Why is Pat Lamb, he wants to get them to the final. Is he thinking, well, you know, I'd rather get to that final than the... What's better, the, the final or getting into the final of the, of the What's Premiership? What's winning the Challenge Cup or and missing out on the top four or getting into Yeah. It? Yeah. What do you think? What's your um, take on it? It's, mate, you know what? It's a good question because similarly, uh, the thing is winning silverware, if Bristol, if Bristol got knocked out in the semis, the yeah. top four, you, you know, you would take winning silverware. So if that was the, you don't know that that's a guarantee, but, that's clearly the route he's gone down, that he backs his side to win the Challenge Cup. And he's yes. in the top four, great. But that can be a huge catalyst, mate. It was for us at Harlequins. We won the, what was the Anlin Cup, same competition back in 2000. Yeah. And then the next year won the Premiership. And then we're in the top four for about three, four years in a row. Right, uh, okay, I get that, really, I get that. You know, winning, at the end of the day, mate, you put all that effort in and... You know, when you have a medal around your neck and you're celebrating the change rooms and, you know, you've got a title to your name and you're a part of the team that's done that and been on that journey, they're special memories, mate. And, you know, even winning the Challenge Cups, more memorable journey than um, being knocked out in the semifinals uh, of the playoffs. But in terms of achievements, I think, you know, given how tough the Premiership is, you know, being a semi-finalist, you know, obviously a finalist and winner, you know, it's different, but being a semi-finalist, worst case scenario is, you know, a, sh- a stronger show of the quality of side you are. What's, what's uh, better, though, then? What's better? Let's take it another step further. What's better? Getting to the final and losing, say, to Exeter or win- winning the Challenge Cup. You'd probably take so, the So cup, you I win suppose. the Challenge Cup, you miss top four, or you, or you lose the Challenge Cup final or lose in the semis and you get to the final and lose in the Premiership. Yeah. Um, so, I, I would think in terms of journey, you know, it'd be... You always want to win things, mate. But uh, in terms of the overall picture and journey and uh, belief in the squad and where they're going and achievement, it would be getting to the final of the Premiership. Um, yeah, you know, I very, think very so. Very, very tough competition. Everyone's well organised. Mm. Everyone's emotionally up for it. They've got quality players. Uh, yeah. Um, and until lockdown, where people have been putting out their third string, like we saw last night, um, it's it's always been competitive. Uh but, it, but it's a fine balance, isn't it? I mean, you, the other thing is, mate, you don't know what the, the prize money's like, you know? <laughs> no, that's true. Yeah, I'm not sure how much that is. But I, I guess this this weekend is crucial and um, I'm intrigued. I mean, what one of the games is uh, Saracens-Bath. 
you know, Saracens have put out weaker teams in their in their last game against Worcester. So I don't know what they're going to do, but obviously it's very close. It's Wasp sixty six, Bath sixty five, uh, and then Sale and Bristol uh, next to each other. So it's, I'm intrigued. The so Sale have got about hundred and thirty points better. Points, on. that's right. Yeah. So and uh, they've got so the Sale are going to get Sale are going to get Worcester. Sale are going to get four tries against Worcester. Yeah. Um, Bristol will get four tries in the win against uh, London Irish. Yeah. The uh, the interesting one is the team that Exeter put out. When Exeter yeah. Wasps down Exeter. Wasps, yeah. there's, there's two schools of thought, or many schools of thought, is Exeter have said, and they're playing a lot of big games coming up, but uh, what you don't want to be doing don't want to happen is being hijacked um, like's happened a lot of times in the past with teams having an extra rest week being hijacked by the team that's match hardened um, the week yeah, that's true I know Rob Bax has come out saying they've got a right to rest players but a week inside but I wonder if that's just a bit of kidology of mind games um, towards wasps because the other thing is you know I know this, it could be seen as a phony war, but if they're to meet Wasps in the final and they've just beaten them two or three weeks beforehand, that's, that's, a, that's a big psychological edge. Um, I, I predict Exeter might put out a sort of mixed side, you know, and, uh, you know, because they don't need to win it, put out a mixed side and make sure that, you know, the minutes sort of add up in terms of resting players and making sure they recover for the semi final and then, you know, Probably the two finals. Um, but, uh, you know, Wasps the other day, I mean, I thought they were dead and buried against Quinns, to be honest. The red card was a big, was a big turning point. And I think a lot, a lot depends on the side extra put out. Because um, mm. they didn't put out the strongest side last night. You know, a lot of second, third string. Um, and London Irish only beaten by three points at home. Um, <laughs> yes, see, Exeter could well put out a week inside and still win. Yeah, we know what they've done to <laughs> Bristol and Northampton away from home. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's a tough one to call, isn't it? Really? It's a tough one. I mean, we said it. You know, who are you going for? You know, the Bath Saracens. I mean, I'm convinced Saracens will want one last hurrah. I know there's no fans and it, and it might not be on TV. And I thought, well, the semi final was it. But I think those players will say, no, 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 no. We're still Premiership champions. This is our last game in the Premiership. Some of us together for the last time. Let's make sure we finish strongly. I think. Bar, can yeah. I think can you imagine? The toughest fixture. I think they got a toughest fixture. But as I say, if there's a COVID issue and none of those Saris play, uh, Saris players that played at the, the weekend in the semi-final can play, then they lose a strong contingent and Bath walk that game. But uh, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Well, listen, been good chatting to you. Um, so listen have a good week I hope the training goes well and uh, I think you're right I think it's uh, uncertain times in rugby certainly with Covid uh, let's hope we can get these finals um, played and I'm, I'm guessing you'll be, you'll be rooting for, for Exeter to win the Europeans and uh, you're not really bothered about the Premiership who wins I suppose you, everyone wants to see an upset don't they everyone wants yeah, to see yeah it'd be nice I mean I suppose, to be honest, deep down, given everything that uh, has happened before with Saracens cheating to the three three previous titles that they won, um, and the people biggest losers being Exeter, you'd won Exeter for all the work they put in and 
how they've gone about the job of, re, uh, you know, basically their, from their entrance to the Premiership, um, improving year on year on year on year. And uh, I think it would be just reward for what Rob Baxter and his team and everyone's done down there. But in saying that, it would be interesting if it, there was an upset. Yeah, you never know. Sale might just uh, be playing them in the semi-finals and Exeter may have their eyes on the European Cup. Suddenly, bang, boom. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. Thanks for listening to Rocket. We'll be back next week. Don't forget to listen, subscribe and review. See you then. <laughs>